Well, we're continuing on in Romans. It gets better and better. And uh, I trust that I'm uh, getting a good rhythm in uh, working through this book. We uh, are in chapter 6 now, verses 1 to 14. We're getting into the real nitty-gritty. Let's read through these 14 verses. I'm reading from the NET. What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he is never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, and uh, I need to have more energy. <laughs> you got a new projector. Why didn't I get a new uh, mic? <laughs> are we on? Are we on? Testing? We are. Okay. 11. Okay, so we're on 11. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is an incredible passage that I think a lot of people kind of just flow through it and get on to some of the better stuff. But this is deep. This, in fact, is... I keep saying this again, don't I? This is really the core of the Christian walk. You know, the world calls us, as Christians, as church people, hypocrites. And such we are. We are hypocrites. Because we say that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and empowers his church. And yet, we struggle with the concept 
of how to walk in Christ daily in our Christian lives. And I believe, I know it for myself, I believe all of us need to go through chapter 6 over and over and over again, reminding us of the basics of the Christian life. It's like when a uh, professional team, I was going to say the Seahawks, but uh, some of you would boo me out of here, so I'm not even going to mention them. Oh, I already mentioned them. But anyway, if we're losing, if the team is losing, what does the coach usually say to the team? You're fired? No. What he'll say is, let's get down to the basics. Again, let's go through the basics of how to play football. And that's what Romans 6 is about. It's the mere basics. And nobody likes the basics, do we? No, because you have to grind it out and grind it out to understand what the basics really are. It's not the Rose Bowl game or the um, what's the big one? Super, Super Bowl, yes. I knew that. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Australian guy. Oh, Dust Bowl. No, it's, it's, the basics are not the Super Bowl. It's uh, sweat and working it out, getting those moves so that they're automatic. We've gotten sloppy over the, the uh, time. And that's what happens with us as Christians. We get sloppy. We get loose and we get so that we're really not as sharp as what the Holy Spirit desires us to be. I'm confessing. That's where I have been and where I fall back to all the time. That we need to keep ourselves sharp. We need to sharpen each other. And so that's what the process is that we're going through here. That was just my introduction. Wait till I really get going. Paul is continuing in his logical explanation of the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ with rhetorical questions. So in this chapter of 6, it's divided into two parts. Each part starts with rhetorical questions. And rhetorical questions are what? We already know the answer. And so Paul starts with that. If we understand where Paul is coming from, we'll have a fairly good grasp on the gospel and consequently our life walk as Christians will become easier because we know what the will of God is for us and we won't struggle with fighting off habits and sins that pull us down and discourage us as Christians. One of the things that I think that we as preachers fall into as a trap and a lot of churches do and that is that we don't really understand the nature of the sin of man. That the sin of man, as Paul laid out in the last chapter, in chapter 5, 
is inherent in the human DNA or the genetic makeup of all of us. How many of you are Adam's son or daughter? We're all sons and daughters of Adam. All of us. Every one of us. No exclusions. We're all in the same dilemma. That's what we learned in chapter 5. But now, because we've got that, let's not just forget about the fact that we talked about it last week. Let's really get into what this is all about as Christians. First of all, in verses 1 to 3, is an introduction. Those are his questions that he asks. And then from there is our position. And then our profession and our presentation. I learned alliteration from a a Bible college homiletics teacher. So I used those three Ps and I found (laughs) them quite easy in uh, in this passage. But maybe it'll help us to remember. We'll walk through these. Paul introduces this part of his thesis, asking these three questions. What shall we say then? Are we to remain in sin so that grace may increase? And of course, he's saying, no way, man. No way. We can't. Otherwise, we cease being Christ followers. We become self-followers. Now, you know, one of the things that we fall into, isn't grace a very wonderful thing? Don't you just love it when someone just pours grace on you? Think about when you were a little boy or a girl and you broke your mother's favorite dish and you tried to hide it because she told you you can't take it out of the cabinet by yourself. But you do. I see a few guilty looks (laughs) on people's faces here. I thought it was just me that did that. But you break it. And you try to put it back together. It won't go back together. And you're just dreading it when your mom finds out that you broke that very precious article that she got from her great-grandmother. And then she comes in. And she says, oh, were you trying to uh, put the dinner plate out for supper tonight? I'm sorry, honey, that that broke. I'm sorry, you feel so bad. Oh, does that ever feel good to have your mom pour that grace on you? We love grace. All of us do. And unfortunately, we as preachers love to talk grace. Do you know what? We can't. We can't talk about grace until we've talked about sin. There is no grace without sin. In other words, if you don't understand sin, you will never, ever understand what true grace is from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, by definition, means man's sin has been met head on. God doesn't just 
Oh, that's all right. You are so good. No, he says, did you eat from that tree? He asks them, and they have to confess. And then what does he do? All of you who went through Genesis last year, he goes out and he slaughters an animal. He sheds blood. This is God, the creator God, slaughtering. I think it was a lamb. And he took and skinned that animal and he covered that pair so that they were not ashamed. They were covered. For you who are knowledgeable Japanese speakers and uh, writers, what's the, and, and you know the answer to this, what is the kanji? It's the kanji for righteousness, gi, which is the lamb over me. Ancient Chinese script, a lamb over me, means righteousness. Incredible. Incredible. You can buy that book uh, in the back there <laughs> that my son wrote uh, for a thousand yen. And if you promise to uh, tell three people, uh, you can have it for free. Grace is preceded by understanding the true nature of sin. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If we really understand, we can't. Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now this word baptized, actually the word baptism means to dip or immerse. Now, I'm not against sprinkling, but I think that the actual word means to be immersed. And last week, we had a baptism with Marindra. And in the river, it was an incredible experience. And we're going to show you a, a clip of that. Those of you who weren't there will appreciate it, I'm sure, of Marindra's baptism. But when he went down into the water, Dan almost went down as well, <laughs> who was assisting me in that. But uh, we were able to get him, get uh, Marindra back up. He hugged us, and then he came up on the shore. And uh, his, can I say this, his future father-in-law... <laughs> his father-in-law-to-be, I guess, uh, prayed for him. And that was a very powerful time. You'll see it in the, in the video. But when we're baptized in Christ, the real meaning of baptism is not Marindra at that time accepted Jesus and that's why he is a child of God. No, that is not true. That baptism was not efficacious. That's a big word. It was not what saved him. It was his confession that he needed Jesus Christ's covering and forgiveness 
for his sinful nature. And he acknowledged that and confessed it with his mouth and he was saved. And then as a sign, as a demonstration of that, he went in a river and was immersed. And when he went down under that water, both Dan and I purposefully held him down for about a second. (laughs) And I think that's maybe why Dan got pulled down. (laughs) But it's like he had died. Marindra was the old Marindra, dead. And when he was raised up, he was raised up like as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the picture. Do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Our position then is that we are buried with Christ. Verse 4 says that therefore you have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. And so coming up out of the water is like what we walk in every day in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. That's a promise. That is what Jesus said would happen to us. That our old life would be would pass away and a new life would come. And that's what it means to be a Christian. We have this new life. It's already been given to us. We're buried with him. Now you know there's something interesting about Jesus death on the cross. Katie and I talked about this a little bit, and I think we've discovered a little bit of kernel of truth here, but when Jesus died on the cross, the normal thing that happened with a criminal that was nailed to the cross was that they would hang there for days and sometimes a week, and they would rot on the cross. And birds would come and land on them and peck their eyes out and gruesome It wasn't as beautiful as this cross. The cross that Jesus died on, many, many other criminals had died on it. And it was bloody. It was black with old blood of other criminals. But you know what? It was prophesied in Isaiah that he would have his grave with the rich Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for permission to take Jesus down from the cross and bury him. That's basically unheard of in the Roman process of crucifying someone. Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb that had never had a body lying in it. The unfortunate thing about it was he didn't he wasn't there that long. In three days he he arose. And that is what we have as a remembrance as Christians. And today we will take communion and we will acknowledge that. That's part of 
are expression. Like baptism, so is communion. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you clean. But it is the expression of our life in Christ. That's where we get our life, from his resurrected life. Our position is that we're united with Jesus. Verse 4, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. And so that the resurrection to us becomes very, very central to us as Christians. What's the most popular Christian holiday in our year? Christmas. We are thankful for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But you know, I wish we had more focus, maybe not the world's focus, but I wish the church had more focus on Resurrection Sunday than we do on Christmas Day. And in fact, we don't even know if it was December 25th. But we do know exactly what day it was that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We have become united in the likeness of his resurrection. And then Jesus was crucified. Now Paul, I think he's got the the chronology here a little bit wrong. He should have talked about the crucifixion of Jesus before because it was Jesus who said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus said that before he was crucified. And probably the the disciples were scratching their head and said, whoa, what is he talking about? Taking up our cross? He'd be saying like Paul, absolutely not. No way, man, am I going to take up a cross. Jesus was looking forward to his crucifixion, the offering of himself for our sins. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For someone who has died has been freed from sin. If you're dead to something, how are you going to respond? You're not going to raise your hand and say, yes, I want one of those. No, you're dead. When you're dead, you're dead. And that's the way it is in our walk as Christians. We're going to get into this a little bit in the nitty-gritty details. Let's move on to our profession. Our profession is the next section where Paul talks about what we believe and what we know. Now if we died, in verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Believing, as we talked about in the last uh, few messages, believing and having faith is imperative for becoming a Christian. You can't be on and off on that. You either believe it or you don't. And it matters to God and to our righteousness and our justification that we believe. There's an etiquette or a thing that we 
we talk about, or we, we don't talk about actually, in some circles, you don't want to talk about politics and you don't want to talk about faith. That's very controversial and don't do it. But we as Christians, we're like sore thumbs that stick out in society because we want to talk about our faith because it's so wonderful that it changed our life like it changed Abraham's life. Abraham believed God when he said, look at the stars. Your children will be like the stars. And he was 80 years old and hadn't had a child yet. And so that for him was, God, I believe you. I believe what you told me that night when, we, when I looked at the stars. I believe you. You're a God of promise. You're a covenant-keeping God. And that was counted to him for righteousness. And that's the way it is when we first accept Jesus Christ. And as we walk along in faith every day from then on, we are believers because we follow the one who went ahead of us who also trusted the Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit, Jesus said on the cross. He believed in his Father, even when the Father turned away. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of sin. And we talked about that. That Paul was talking about how do you approach a God who is so holy that you can't even say his name And that he forgives you on the basis, not of your works and what goody-goody stuff you do, but he forgives you on the basis of believing in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. An incredible, incredible plan. That's what Christianity is about. And I really challenge you, young people, Don't be afraid to talk about the cross. Don't be afraid to share your faith. Hold back on telling them about grace. Tell them about sin first. Now they'll say, well, we Japanese don't believe in sin. That's okay, just go ahead and say it anyway. The word is tsumi. That's not a Japanese word, by the way. The Japanese did not have a word for sin until the Chinese taught them what sin was, or they had a word for it. That's something to know about the Japanese. They're dear people. I'm not putting them down, but they need to know about their sin in order to be able to receive his forgiveness. We believe that we will also live with him. We also know in verses 9 and 10, we know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he is never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Once for all is very important phrase in there. Underline it. 
several times, highlighted several times in your Bible. Very, very important. And believe it, know it. And then we need to consider in verse 11. So you too, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the word credited to Abraham or reckoned to Abraham righteousness, which is an accounting type of word. It's like you don't have any money in the bank, but somebody comes and said, well, I just loaded your card up with $10,000. Ah, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Well, I bet you anything, if I told some of you that, you'd go and you'd stick your card into the machine and find out how much was on that card. That's just a very shallow demonstration of what reckoning means or crediting. But that's what God did with us. That's what he did with Abraham. And that's what this word means. So you too credit yourselves dead to sin. In other words, you're saying, sin, you don't exist. I consider myself dead. You have no hold on me. Jesus said, Satan has come to tempt me, but he has nothing in me. There is no hook that could catch on to Jesus and yank him by Satan. There was nothing in him. That's what he wants for each of us. Jesus does. That Satan's hook, whatever that is in your life, it would pass through just like passing through water. You're not there. You're dead. You're dead to it. That is what this word means. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. And when God calls you to his word or to prayer or to confession, to a place of worshiping him, your heart responds because he does have a hold on you. It's not a hook. It's his love drawing you to himself. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Now we come to the third point, our presentation. And that uh, is a very interesting word. Let's uh, read first of all, though, on the do not in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Yes, the Old Testament commandments, the Ten Commandments, had a lot of don'ts in them. And we need those kind of things in order to give us the guide rails, the, the tracks on which to, to run. Those are just main tracks that we, we follow as believers. 
And Paul later on goes on to tell us that if we're walking in the Spirit, the Spirit is walking on those rails, is running down those rails, fulfilling the law. And Paul will get into this again as we we continue here in the next section. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. What does reign mean? Kingship. Sin is not the master or the king over you. Who is king? Jesus, our Savior. He is the king. Do not present or submit your members, your body parts to sin as instruments, weapons to be used for unrighteousness. I'd like to ask a couple of the brothers here to come forward and I'd like to have them stand in front of you so that we can understand what this word present means. Okay, why did I choose these two? These two guys happen to be either military or former military and they are going to demonstrate to you what the word present means. It is when you are saluting a what a flag or a person, a high-ranking officer. In this case, in the verse that we're talking about, if you're not a believer, this is what you will do. Okay, go ahead, guys. Hands up. Okay, that's what you're doing. You can just stay up here for a few minutes. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. That's what you're doing when you present yourself to sin and unrighteousness. Do not present or submit or salute with your members or your body parts, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your thoughts, your hands, yourself. Do not present them saying, I submit to you. That's how we fall into sin. That's how we as Christians fail. That's how we become hypocrites and come under the condemnation of our own hearts. And feel so bad when you go to church, and I'm, I'm not going to go there for a while because Ron's preaching on some, something that's touchy. No, that is reality. But let's read on now. Do not present your members to sin as instruments or weapons. The enemy has got you with your eyes, with your mind, with your tongue, with your feelings. He's got you. He's got a hold of you to be used for unrighteousness. But, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments or weapons to be used for righteousness. Okay, one more time. This is to the Lord Jesus Christ that they're saluting. Present arms. Order arms. 
let's talk about instruments, particularly in the positive side. Not presenting your bodies in the negative side, but your members or your instruments, your weapons. What's the best way to overcome sin and its hold in your life? It's to be sensitive to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit who uses the Word of God to correct what you look at, what you think about, about those things that you say that you know that you shouldn't have said it, but you went ahead and did it anyway. Now, the very curious thing here is when we're in that kind of situation, there can be self-condemnation like, like we talked about last week and we can get down on ourselves and the enemy will take advantage of us. But we have to remember something. It's not about us keeping the law and doing all the things that we need to do. That's not what the Christian life is. What the Christian life is, is in the next verse. Verse 14. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law, but under grace. We started out with grace, and we're ending with grace here, because grace means it's not how good I perform but it's his work for us on the cross. It's his grace of forgiveness to us. And yes, I blew it, and you blew it, but there's forgiveness. We can walk in righteousness by just coming to our Savior who died once for all. And that is what Paul is talking about so that we as Christians can walk out of the condemnation of being called hypocrites and we can walk in the fullness of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And we can hold our heads up high, not to the world. That doesn't really matter for them, but to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us and made us his own, cleansing us and drawing us near and into the orb or the circle of his fellowship around the cross. We died, but we now are made alive. We're dead to sin, but alive to God. That's what that verse means. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law, but you're under grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your incredible plan that is so clearly laid out in this book. We thank you that we stand not in our own righteousness, never, but the righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. Help us this week to really get a grip on this and begin to walk this out with greater understanding and insight so that we be victorious Christians. 
so that we be your soldiers, your people, in the places that you put us in. Allow us, Lord, to understand that your will and purposes are being worked out, even in this nation. We've already prayed for the young people as they've come here to this country, but we pray for them even more so as we together have meditated on this verse and its implications. And we pray, Father, keep them aware of where their power is, what their testimony is before the people they walk among. Use them as your people, your followers. And allow them to walk in victory and understanding of what it means to be a Christian in this country, in this land. And for the rest of us as well, Lord, in our marriages, in our relationship, in the companies, school, with our friends, Lord, that we would understand that it's your life and not ours. We're dead in Christ. We're in him. And we've become followers to, to the death. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.